I invite you now to turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at pride, taming the beast. I wonder if you've ever had this experience. Sometimes I am walking around the city, and I notice there's a dog and an owner. And they're coexisting quite peacefully. Maybe the owner is, is like throwing a ball in a park, and the dog's getting it happily. Uh, or maybe there's, uh, there's some kids petting the dog. In any case, there's just a sense of, of peace and calm and tranquil. And then lo, another dog appears on the scene and trans transgresses and trans trespasses uh, the original dog's territory. And what was once a peaceful puppy-like thing all of a sudden becomes a beast, shows its teeth, and tugs at, the, tugs at the, the leash, wants to be free, wants to get into a fight, and engage in a ridiculous power play over who's the alpha of the block. Underneath the friendly exterior of this little pup was a beast. And all it took was just a, just a whiff of competition, just a little bit of uh, status-seeking. And there's all of a sudden a fight for superiority. Now, you and I are more subtle than the average neighborhood dog most of the time. But underneath our friendly exterior is a beast lurking, a beast of pride. One minute we're going about our business, we're praying, even we're singing songs of worship, we're thinking nice thoughts, we've got good plans happening, and then someone snubs us. Someone who doesn't deserve to snub us, snubs us. And we feel the growl inside. Or what about someone takes credit for one of our good ideas or for a project we've worked on? Not cool, dude. Or what about if someone begins to trespass into our territory? Romantic territory. Status territory, ah! it can get ugly so fast. You know, pride uh, is, it's like this beast-like superiority that devours good things. Devours our joy in God. We completely forget that we have a God, that we have a Savior, that we have everything we need. It devours relationships with other people, turns friends into competitors. It devours our peace, it devours our rest, it devours our joy. Before we know it, we're, we're fighting over something stupid, completely forgetting uh, where we've come from. So pride can be beastly, pride is beastly, and it needs to be tamed uh, before it devours everything good God's given us. This morning is a story of how God tames the beast inside Nebuchadnezzar. God loved King Nebuchadnezzar, but God was intent on taming the beast within him before it devoured Nebuchadnezzar and before it devoured everyone in his kingdom. So um, let's look together at this testimony, shall we? It begins in verse 4 of Daniel 4. Just imagine King Nebuchadnezzar is actually bearing witness to the activity of God in his life. He's about to give his life story. 
And it begins like this. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. So we can just stop right there and say, is there anything more tempting to pride than when things come easy for us? Is there anything more tempting for our pride than when we're winning? Can you imagine the insufferable Christmas card that Nebuchadnezzar wrote to all of his friends that year? Hey, everyone, Nebuchadnezzar here. It's been a busy time in Babylon. I hope you guys are all doing well. I was so distraught and sad to see the fall of the Assyrian Empire and all of the leadership issues that precipitated it. With great reluctance and great humility, I accepted the position of world-dominating leader. On a personal front, things have been crazy as ever. Took the trip to Portugal with the family, came back. And what was a crazy idea of like some hanging gardens for my wife ended up being listed in the seven great wonders of the ancient world. Can you believe it? I sure couldn't. They should have chosen somebody else. Can't wait to hear from you. Hope all is well. Love, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, when you win, especially in comparison to your peers that wanted to win, uh, it just seems like you are better. When you do better, it's like you are better. When things come easy, it's like, hey, guess what comes easy for me? Grades, health, relationships, work. All I do is win. Tiger blood courses through my veins. Y'all, on the other hand, y'all seem to struggle. Boy, life's a struggle for you, isn't it? It's not for me, sorry. It's, it's tempting. It's tempting. Nebuchadnezzar is in spiritual danger here, being at ease. Comfort and humility don't often coexist. So he needs a warning. Watch out, Nebuchadnezzar. Pride's going to devour you. The warning comes mercifully in the form of a dream. Verse 5, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. I want to stop here and just say, God seems to really love Nebuchadnezzar. Do you see how merciful God is being to Nebuchadnezzar? He had one dream. It was supposed to humble him. Didn't humble him. So he has a second dream here. It's like a second chance for Nebuchadnezzar. Can you see the mercy of God in giving Nebuchadnezzar an uncomfortable warning? where he just says, hey, look, you need to watch out. And this might disturb you, this might alarm you, um, but it's a lot better than learning the hard way. It's a lot easier to have a dream about something hard happening than to actually have the hard thing happen, right? We all need this. You and I may not have dreams from God, although some of us might. A lot of times this comes in the form of someone who loves us, caring enough about us, to tell us when pride is starting to devour things. Someone to pull us aside, like Nathan pulled aside King David and said, you are the man. You exploited, Babylon, uh, you exploited Bathsheba and killed her husband. And you need to repent. Or what about uh, the way that Paul took Peter aside and said, Peter, you stand condemned for your racism and you need to repent. It's never comfortable, but boy, is it a mercy to get it through a message than through the school of hard knocks. 
if we would have the humility to listen. So God loves Nebuchadnezzar. He loves us. He's going to give us dreams and messages and conversations and warnings to disturb our comfort and tame our pride. What was the second dream about? Well, verse 10 tells us, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew. So it started big, but then it grew and grew and grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heaven lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. So here we have a tree of life bridging heaven and earth. Imagine looking up any time of the day and taller than any skyscraper, taller in fact than any cloud is the most massive tree you've ever seen. It's not just big, it's life-giving. It touches heaven and it reaches earth with lush green leaves, the most tasteful fruit you could ever taste, large enough, full enough to have a whole ecosystem in there. You could fit the entire Chicago Botanic Garden in this tree. You could make a tree house in this tree. This symbolizes Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, who's been gifted by God to rule the earth. Nebuchadnezzar, who provides for creation, provides for people. He is the tree. And man, is he impressive. And then the warning. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, come down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. So here we have the most impressive tree, the most impressive human being in all the earth. And down comes a three-dimensional message from God in the form of a watcher. And the watcher says, strip it, take it all away. Level that tree down to a stump. You used to be able to see it from anywhere in the world, and now the only people that are going to see it are the beasts that walk next to it because it's going to be a stump, and it's going to be chopped, and it's going to be lopped, and there's going to be bronze covering it like a shackle. So Daniel is brought in here because Nebuchadnezzar wakes up from this dream, and he's freaked, as any of us would be. Daniel says this, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be driven from men like a beast, and your status is going to be taken away. For seven years, you're going to crawl like a beast. Your fingernails are going to grow. It's not going to be pretty. So what does he say to Nebuchadnezzar? The bottom line closer, verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you, Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, prune your own tree. There's iniquitous branches on your tree. Prune it. If you want to be prosperous, if you want to be a true Psalm 1 tree, you better repent. Let 
let your sin and your pride be stripped before the living God sends a watcher down to do it for you. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, it's time to care for the oppressed. You know, your pride's been devouring the oppressed, Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know it. So if we have more power than other people, we don't know when we abuse it unless they tell us some of the time. Most of the time, we're not going to feel it. They're going to feel it. And Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, there's oppressed people in your empire. Your, your actions, your laws, your passivity, it's hurting them. So do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Nebuchadnezzar needs to hear this. He needs a flash flood of repentance. He needs a come to Jesus moment. He needs a Nathan, and he's got one. You know, it's a grace. It's a grace whenever we have a dream like this, whenever we have someone to come alongside like Daniel and tell us we need to change our ways. I remember years ago when I was in college, I was in a play. And one of our first rehearsals, the director was not able to attend. And during the rehearsal, you know, it was just me and my fellow cast members. I decided at some point to impersonate the director and kind of make her look bad and make myself look good. The moment passed, and we were walking back to our, you know, dorm rooms, and I was walking with my friend. I can still remember he looked at me and said, Aaron, what you did tonight impersonating the director was uncalled for. And he was right. I've forgotten many conversations from college, but I remember that one. My pride needed to be tamed. I needed a stinging message. Lop off the branch of self-exaltation. Lop off the branch of making fun of people. It's time to end it. It's a severe mercy and a loving act for God to send people in our life who will tell us when we've misstepped. It's one of the best ways that pride can be tamed. Faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If someone cares enough about you to have a conversation like that, they love you. And God loves you through them. If we don't turn around, if we don't listen to the dream, if we don't listen to the intervention, if we're dead set on our ways, if there's no flash flood of repentance, you know what God will do? He won't abandon us. And yet, he will let us experience the devouring of our own pride. He'll let us become a stump, not just in dreams, but in real life. And Nebuchadnezzar, he was one of those guys. He had to learn the hard way. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is this not the great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? 12 months have passed. You know, I wonder what it was like after one week. So you have the dream. Daniel comes in, interprets it. One week passes. No judgment passes. You've got plenty of responsibility in Babylon. There's projects coming at you, and there's people who want your attention. Two weeks pass. You hear about a war that was won in a distant land for the glory of Babylon. You go, ah, hmm. Things are moving in a good direction. The tree continues to grow to heaven, shall we say. 
Five weeks pass. Someone hands you the first fruits of the wine in the, uh, of, of the vineyards of Babylon. You taste the wine, and it doesn't taste like judgment. It tastes sweet. It tastes good. Four months passed. What was that? A weird dream I had one time. I woke up in a cold sweat. Daniel comes in, talks about God most high, talks about beastliness. Mm, I think that was just a spiritual experience I had one time, or maybe it was just bad lamb chops. I think that was weird. I think that's not going to happen. Maybe he doesn't even admit this to himself. Six months pass, 12 months pass. He walks out into the, uh, the balcony and looks out and everything's wonderful. And he's like, man, this is hard work. Running Babylon, not many people could do this. Is this not great Babylon, which I've built with my mighty power day after day, night after night? Again, I find Nebuchadnezzar very relatable. Because if there's anything that can tempt us to pride more than things being easy, it's when things are hard that we really can be tempted to pride. When we have worked hard, boy, is pride a temptation. I don't mean pride in the sense of healthy satisfaction for a job well done, using our gifts for the sake of others and for God's glory. That's good and that's different. I'm just talking more about taking too much credit after expending ourselves into exhaustion. I'm talking about the quiet self-congratulation in between sips of herbal tea. Like, yeah, I did get good grades this semester. Let me tell you what, I earned every last A I got. Doesn't come easy for me. Eh, actually, our marriage is in a pretty good place. It, it doesn't come automatically. It's been uphill the whole time. Books, counseling, plus I'm really emotionally healthy. So, yeah, we work at it. I don't know about you guys. Or what about this? Hmm. Few people know the pain and the sacrifice required to achieve true justice. I've been on this road for a long time. I've been digging in the trenches of justice for a long time. Now it's cool. Now everyone cares. But only very few people know the true cost, and I have a very lonely life as a result. Or how about this? Is this not the great Babylon which I have built with my mighty power? What are we saying? I have a good life because I did good things. I deserve more credit than I'm getting. And I'd never say this out loud, but I'm better than other people. Not because I have more gifts or more talent. They've got the talent. I've got the hard work. I've got the grit. Sometimes it's our goodness more than our flaws that bring out the beastly pride inside. We can forget that every breath we take is a gift. We can forget that our life is a gift. We can forget that every talent we have, every job that uh, we do, every door that opens is an act of grace, of a God who sustains us, of people who, has, who have loved us into life. And so in an act of severe mercy, God says, go ahead, Nebuchadnezzar, 
I'm going to go ahead and let you become the beast that you were intent on becoming. And so verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men. He's going to be made to eat grass like an ox. It's going to last seven years. Why? The last part of verse 32 says, until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Listen, it's a catechism lesson for the heart. Nebuchadnezzar needs to be reminded of who God is, how great God is, how dependent he is on God. But in the meantime, verse 33, he was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mental stability. He lost his community. He lost his work. He lost his dignity because of his pride. And this reminds me of an insight from C.S. Lewis when he says that pride is like spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Have you ever been in that spot? Your pride has cost you common sense. Your pride has cost you a relationship. I think after all those years had passed, Nebuchadnezzar finally, finally got that catechism lesson for the heart. And he realized, oh my goodness, I've thrown so much away. Now it's time to repent. He, uh, he had been ruined. And all he could do at this point was ask for mercy. It's like the moment with Jacob where he wrestles with God. Jacob, who had grasped his whole life, and finally God says, all right, we're going to wrestle. I'm going to dislocate your hip, your hip. You'll always walk with a limp so that you will know that you cannot live life without me. Scheming's not going to be enough. Talent's not going to be enough. Hard work's not going to be enough. I have to be enough. Nebuchadnezzar finally realizes it. There's no sin of pride that God can't forgive. There's no prodigal sons that can't come home. There's no stumps that cannot be restored into trees, Psalm 1 trees. And that is because we have a humble God. We have a humble God. God is not just glorious, he's also humble. That Jesus came down as a holy one, not to strip down the tree, but to actually be stripped down and laid bare on the tree is a great act of humility for him to take our pride and our beastliness upon himself to show us how ugly it looks when externalized and to also put on display God's absolute loving scandalous grace for those of us who have let beastliness destroy what he has made Nebuchadnezzar saw it every Sunday we can see it God's mercy and grace is there for us. Now there's hope for the stump. Verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar says, at the end of my days, I lifted my eyes to heaven, which is always a good place when we are tempted to pride, lifting our eyes to heaven, remembering that we have a God. Then my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Can you hear the joy in Nebuchadnezzar's words? And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
Here's a song of amazing grace. Here's a, here's a declaration that I don't have to carry the burden of being the world-dominating ruler anymore. There's only one man. There's only one God whose kingdom will never end. I'm going to die. Let's just embrace that now. There's a God who will never die. My, king, my kingdom will come to an end. His kingdom will never end. It's this fresh vision of God that heals Nebuchadnezzar's pride. And so we pray to come Holy Spirit, reveal the character of God, give us a catechism lesson for the heart that's going to deliver us and free us from the burden of pride, from the destruction of it. Nebuchadnezzar is eventually, he's restored to God. He's restored to his community. He's restored to his work. And he does so now with the presence of God, with the help of God. He even says in verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. We might even imagine Nebuchadnezzar with new spiritual practices where he's like taking on less so that he can pray and sing more so that he can be in God's presence more. It's Nebuchadnezzar potentially now is abiding in the vine um, and learning from Daniel what it means to have a life of prayer. God wants to tame our pride, my friends, mine, yours. He's going to send us messages that are uncomfortable. He's going to let us sometimes see the ugliness and the beastliness. Um, but I think that one of the bedrock ways that God tames our pride is through this gracious invitation to the meal that we're going to partake in. Where we come with empty hands, we come confessing our sins, we come confessing his grace, and we see in his great humility that he is willing to, to feed us. Pride and shame are similar in that they can't survive in a healthy relationship. When God brings shame and pride to the surface and we bring it to God and we bring it to a safe friend and we say, you know what? I've been comparing myself with others. You know what? I felt snubbed by someone and my pride reared its ugly head. You know what? I've been dominating others to keep my status. Pride can't survive that kind of conversation and pride can't survive the presence of God. So every Sunday we hear that Christ has died Christ is risen. Christ will come again to save us from our pride, to heal us from our pride. And we confess our sins. We say, come Holy Spirit. Every Sunday is a come to Jesus conversation in every sense of the word. And it's a moment. It's a moment from Jesus. It's a moment to turn around. I just want to take this opportunity now that um, we're going to, in lieu of confessing the Nicene Creed, which is important and good, and, and I encourage you to take it with you and learn it, we're going to confess our sins. We're just going to take a moment of repentance now. So I invite you either to remain sitting or to kneel as we confess our sins, and then we'll have an opportunity to confess it liturgically for those of you who, who remember it. If you don't remember it, you can just listen to the words and let them guide you into the presence of God. Let us now confess our sins against God and our neighbor.
just give over to him any burden you've been carrying as a result of as a result of pride that lurks within any way it's devoured your life or the lives of others let us confess together almighty god we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone we have not loved you with our whole heart we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son jesus christ have mercy upon us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name amen and now may almighty god have mercy upon you forgive you all your sins through our lord jesus christ strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the holy spirit keep you in eternal life amen <laughs>